podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Brian. This is Barca Talk. We have a lot of stuff to get into about FC Barcelona today, but in the wake of the uh, horrific act of violence and uh, terror in the city and vicinity of Barcelona last Thursday, uh, I can't do the show without saying something about it. Uh, Now, we're going to talk a lot about the politics in and around FC Barcelona today, but I don't see any reason to get too worked up about any of that stuff um, when faced with something like this, this attack, or any act that uh, that really only seeks to destroy, uh, like the rally we saw here in the U.S. in Charlottesville. You know, whether it's the, the so-called alt-right in the U.S. or ISIS in the Middle East uh, attacking Europe or wherever, you know, both claim that they're trying to build something, to create something. And in both cases, what they want to create, uh, as far as I can tell, is... Um, a fascist state, be it religiously fascist or ethnocentrically fascist. And uh, any kind of fascism is a state that creates very little and uh, destroys a hell of a lot. Uh, They chalk up far more death and destruction than anything good uh, it could ever claim to have made. Uh, And I'll admit, um, I just got political very quickly, and it's hard not to turn to political rhetoric when reacting to these events. But on the purely uh, human side of this event, I want to say this. um, Every time this happens, uh, I weep. My heart breaks. But um, I'm always encouraged by the people in the aftermath who gather together, hold vigil peacefully and united, and they always show up, for which I'm grateful. In this particular case in Barcelona, uh, one statement that touched me uh, greatly actually came from none other than Leo Messi. Uh, He said, There are more of us who want to live in a world of peace without hate and where respect and tolerance form the basis of our coexistence. And uh, well said, Leo. So I just wanted to, uh, to say that and let you know where where I stand, where we stand here at the show. So with that, let's uh, let's go ahead and and start our show. Welcome again to Barca Talk. This is Brian again, and uh, joining me as always from Madrid is Gabriel Quiroga. Uh, Gabriel, how how are you holding up? What's the atmosphere like in Madrid right now? Hey, Brian. Um, you know, this past week has been pretty crazy, especially what happened in Barcelona. Um, the atmosphere, you know, here in Madrid is, um, you know, just everyone's a little bit more cautious, obviously, but a little bit more police uh, presence, obviously. Uh, but for the most part, you know, it's business as usual. Um, Barcelona is really close to here. So a lot of people, uh, for me, especially, luckily, my friends were okay that I have in Barcelona. They're, you know, Las Ramblas is a touristy place. So my friends that live in Barcelona don't really go there as often. But uh, unfortunately, with the attack that happened, uh, everyone's kind of been a little bit more cautious here and uh, just kind of just more aware of what's going on. So... Well, I'm glad all of your friends in Barcelona are safe. Uh, my thoughts and prayers and condolences uh, go out to all the victims and their families and the people of Barcelona. Uh, but um, but uh, but we have a show to do. 
and we have a lot to talk about. Um, so let's let's go ahead and do it. Let's get started. So after uh, Los Blancos danced all over Barca at the Bernabeu last Wednesday, Pep Segura, a sporting manager for football, claimed that deals for both Coutinho and Dembele were close to being finalized. That's a quote. But then Liverpool rejected a third bid for Coutinho, and Borussia Dortmund have stated that Barcelona is not one millimeter closer to signing Dembele. Uh, now, for U.S. listeners, a millimeter is very small. It's uh, it's about one twenty-fifth of an inch. So there is no way on earth that I can see that Coutinho is coming to Barcelona this year. But I don't know, maybe when his contract is up in five years and he's 30 years old, maybe we'll grab him for some ridiculous amount of money, like 80 million euros, if this Paulinho signing is any indication. And as far as Dembele goes, it remains to be seen, but honestly, I'm not too optimistic about it. Uh, Dortmund is holding a really hard line on his release clause, and they've pointed out that they know Barca has the money from Neymar's release. So at least Barcelona is showing some restraint and, you know, not cowing to everyone's demands just because they have the money to do it. And my final little point on this is that uh, Sport has reported that Barca are moving on to a plan B looking at uh, Jean-Michel Serri, a 26-year-old midfielder who's been compared to Xavi in his creativity and his ability to link play together, and uh, Angel Di Maria, presently at Paris Saint-Germain, formerly of Real Madrid, and fellow Argentine to uh, Leo Messi, having played alongside him in international play. So, I mean, that's... That's actually a few things. What what are your thoughts on all of that, Gabriel? Well, first of all, good French accent. That's my first point. Um, second Merci. thing, yeah, yeah. Second thing, um, you know, we've talked about this before. This is basically how to never negotiate anything, right? It's like uh, having this type of negotiation that we've been doing is completely the opposite of what you're ever taught in business. Uh, you know, you're supposed to. Uh, kind of be a little bit open minded about what the market's going to hold and. With this Coutinho and Dembele uh, scenario that we've been doing, they know we have the money and they're trying to get every bit of money from us. So we should just move on from that. I do like the Seri signing. I think it's a really good uh, signing for the future. Also, he's young, 26. He's not going to cost too much money, I think, between, what, 25, 30 million euros, I think. So it's a pretty straightforward deal. Nice knows what the market is for him, and they're they're happy with that. Uh, but Angel de Maria doesn't do anything for me either. So... I want Seri. I want younger players that have potential right now. Uh, I think we should hold off on Coutinho, like I said in the last episodes, Coutinho and Dembele. I think, you know, we should have had some sort of indication before we sold Neymar to try to go hard after those players before that happened. And you know the Barca board had some indication. They had to have had some indication. And it would have been so much cheaper to do that beforehand. But now uh, what's happening now, especially with Liverpool holding a hard line, and not allowing this negotiation to continue, uh, there's no hope for Coutinho and Dembele, in my opinion. So I think signing Seri is a really good, uh, good, good signing, and I think we should just hold Pat until the winter or until next summer and just see what we have with the team. Yeah, I think the emphasis on like bringing in someone young would be the way to go. Okay, now second item, uh, uh, Paulinho, your favorite signing of recent months, 
<laughs> was unveiled last Thursday at Camp New, and uh, his lackluster display of mediocre juggling ability invited a slew of comments and memes of disappointment and dismay on social media. So <laughs> tell me, tell me, Gabriel, how do you feel? How do you feel about that? <laughs> I mean, that's just, I mean, that 24 hours was probably like really, really bad because not only did we get shelled by Real Madrid, but we also didn't like, we're like, oh, look, we have Paulinho who can barely string five juggles together. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. And I know maybe he might have been nervous and so forth, but come on. It's like, and first, and who went to the Paulinho uh, unveiling? That's what I want to know. Like, how, there wasn't that many people that went there, but still, like, I think it was only the press. Really? Oh, okay. Okay. I don't think any fans went there, and I heard that so far they've <laughs> they've sold all of one Paulinho jersey at the store. And, uh, and, and, and they gave the, the guy for free too, right? Didn't they give it to him for free? That's what or I heard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I feel bad for him because obviously, like, he, you know, it's probably a dream come true for him. You know, he's playing at China League. They sign him here, but he's just, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. I don't even know if he's really going to play that much. That's the other thing. But again, like we said in the previous podcast, it's 40 million euros. The fourth most expensive Barca signing in their history, which is ridiculous to even think about. This person's not even going to play. Yeah, I honestly am not really seeing him playing. Uh, and we're actually going to pick up on a little bit of this in our main main story today. But uh, I mean, I actually, I feel bad for him too, because it's not as though he's a He's a bad player, but honestly, I think he's just kind of caught up in the middle of a bad situation. Uh, so, like, maybe if he does see any playing time, he'll probably just be a new whipping boy. So at least Andre Gomez is feeling better. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the other thing is that I don't know if you've seen the the memes on online about you know what Real Madrid has spent in the last three years in midfield and what we've spent, and it's just like it's it's so sad. You know, they they signed Cruz. Uh, Asensio, they signed um, uh, Kovacic, they signed all these guys for like almost a hundred million, and we've spent like a hundred and sixty on Song, Turan, Andres Gomez, Paulinho, and it's like, what? What's going on here? You know, these people don't even play, and we're spending so much money. Yeah, the skill isn't there, but uh, but the uh, the Euros sure are. Now, okay, and, and then here's our last little thing. Um, uh, so Luis Suarez was injured in the second leg of the Supercopa. He took a knock to his knee, and he's going to be out for a month. So as if trying to find solutions for the loss of Neymar wasn't enough, we're starting out the Liga campaign without Suarez. And, of course, a lot of burden is going to be on Messi's shoulders. And even for Messi, it's, I think, really just too much to put on him. And Sid Lowe, uh, who I really enjoy his writing, uh, Sid Lowe wrote a really good piece about this on ESPN FC, and I only hope that s- some other players step up and show Messi that he's not on his own out there. Well, I mean, the good thing, you know, not the good thing, but with Suarez's injury, obviously it's going to give opportunity to someone else, and that opportunity, like we saw in tonight's game, is going to go to Paco Alcázar, and Paco Alcázar is a very above-average striker, so this is going to give him at least, you know, four or five games in a row to hopefully find his touch. Uh, I think it's a good thing because obviously in the beginning of the season, let Luis Suarez take his time and come back, give Paco Calasara some time, get some repetition, and hopefully he'll find his goal scoring again. I think Paco Calasara is a really good uh, number nine. Like he he will do Suarez's job uh, admirably, and I think again just giving him confidence for the end of the for this season, I think that's really important. So for me, yeah, obviously losing Luis Suarez, his caliber, his goals is really uh, drastic. But at the same time, 
Fortunately, at that position as a center forward, holding center forward like that, we have Pakal Kalsar. Now, obviously, we still have to find the Navar uh, missing piece here, which is, you know, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be difficult. But I think Messi should be okay. Uh, if any indication was of tonight's game, we should be okay against the lower tier teams. Yeah, so Alcacer getting uh, some more attempts, uh, some more time on the pitch and repetition will, will be good for him to find his feet. But as far as like the this idea of replacing Neymar, I mean, it's just he's not a replaceable player. And I was talking with my dad about this the other day, and uh, he pointed out that really you have to just approach the, the problem in a whole different way to find a whole different solution, you know, because there's no one player that you could slot in and say, okay, now do like Neymar. Right. That's not going to happen. Uh, so uh, but I think Valverde is uh, starting to find those solutions within the squad that he already has, even without any new signings. So we and we saw that against Betis a little bit. So moving on to our main story, we're going to we're going to get in depth here. This is deep. Our main story today starts with this comment from uh, Luis on Twitter. He sent us this direct message. Uh, and I suppose it was during the second leg of the Supercopa. And uh, Luis says, uh, this current game is absolutely horrible. Please talk about the current president and awful job they are doing. The president, along with his staff, will be our downfall. We are headed down the wrong path. Our defense needs attention and we need young talent. Real Madrid has been doing things right by signing young talent. They are securing their future. We, on the other hand, have become what Real Madrid was, signing expensive players. This president is losing sense of direction. And uh, so that was from Luis, and thanks, Luis, for sending that to us. There's a growing discontent with President Bartomeu's management of the club, uh, with the loss of Neymar, a very poor showing in the Supercopa, and the highly questionable, even mind-boggling decision to sign Paulinho, a lot of questions and eyebrows are raised. So former presidential candidate Augusti Benedito, he's actually started this campaign to lodge a vote of no confidence against the board. And the Paulinho signing in particular has led some people to connect the dots between Bartomeu's company, Adelte, and Evergrande, the company that owns the uh, Gongshu club Paulinho came from. Now, supporters of Benedito's campaign have become more active on social media lately, and the club, uh, through spokesman Joseph Vives, have expressed the idea that this movement on social media using the hashtag Bartomeo Dimisio is, is, quote, artificial, and that Bartomeo and his family have received threats on social media. Now, we, Barca Talk, we were tagged in an Instagram post last week that suggests calling out uh, Sport and Mundo Deportivo and pressure them to report on this no-confidence vote. And uh, we've talked about this, and we support having the vote. But I want to clarify some facts about Sport and Mundo Deportivo's coverage of the story. So on June 8th of uh, this year, Sport reported that Benedito had announced that he would present a vote of no-confidence against Bartomeu. Then, one month later, they reported that Benedito announced he had sufficient support to launch the vote. So now here, let me get into the actual process of what Benedito is trying to do. He has not yet filed anything formally with the club. Everything that he's done over the summer to build support for this has been unofficial, just trying to get the temperature of the membership, you might say. 
But once he does request the official paperwork from the club and receives it from the club, he will have only 14 days to gather enough official signatures to trigger a vote. He's going to need 15% of club members or associates to officially get that vote going. Now, that's about 16,500 signatures. And again, that will only trigger a vote to take place. It won't remove Bartomeo and the board automatically. Uh, and now, and this was reported on, you know, I don't have any inside information. I know all this because I just found the articles. Now, maybe in the physical paper papers, maybe it was buried in the back pages, but online, it was actually pretty easy to find. So I don't know that it's a failing of their journalism. Now, Benedito says he will officially request the necessary paperwork from the club on September 1st. And the club has five working days to deliver the paperwork to him. Uh, With September 1st falling on a Friday, he may not receive those documents until the following Friday. But whenever they get that to him, the clock will be ticking. Now, we are not club members. Gabriel's not a club member. I'm not a club member. But since we have this uh, small platform here on the show, we're taking this opportunity to encourage members of the club to sign on to Benedito's petition for a vote. So if you have any friends or acquaintances in Barcelona or around Barcelona who are club members, uh, we would urge you to talk about this with them and uh, even ask them to sign on. Yeah, so that so you you did a really good job on breaking everything down of what needs to happen to begin the process of trying to get Bartomeu and his board out. Now we've already talked about, um, especially last week, about my family friend who talked about his opinion about the board and obviously the direction. And you know, the last five years, everything has been going downhill. Just the, the philosophy, uh, the way Bartomeu is doing business, um, the way the board handles things. So all in all, just really, just every year it keeps getting worse. It seems. And what makes it even worse is what's evident on the field as well. So especially with the two legs of the Supercopa, we can see that we have a lot to catch up on with Real Madrid. And that's really who we're always competing with uh, when it comes down to, because that's what we want. We want Champions Leagues and La Liga titles. And now Real Madrid are the top, and that's what we're competing with. Now, uh, like you said, you know, there's been this huge Twitter campaign. I've been retweeting about it because I think it's important just to have – uh, you know, Bartomeu's had plenty of time to do something, and we've seen the body of his work, so I think he needs to to be removed. Now, again, like you said, 16,500, you know how it is with politics and votes. In theory, on Twitter, everything sounds great, but we don't know what the actual count will be with the Sosis. So that's another important thing. Now, do we know is Benedito or Laporta is going to do uh, equally bad or good job? We don't know. But at least there's some sort of change. You know, this is the problem sometimes with having this type of structure with the board and the way the votes come in. You know, in theory, democracy is always the greatest. But sometimes having a dictatorship could work in sports, and it sometimes works better when there's one voice, one person in charge. I don't know. I, For example, right now with the politics that's going on on the Barca board and how it is, it's just it's really difficult uh, to get anything done and just the future of the club right now just looks a little bleak. Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, to bring it back around to Luis's point, it is, you know, it's just be- it has become increasingly clear that Bartomeu just doesn't have the same vision for the club that many of us, the fans, have. You know, he can point to all his accomplishments under his leadership. And there are some positive accomplishments that he's made in terms of developing the club's brand all over the globe and uh, growing the overall revenue of the club. But, you know, right now, I think the club is uh, at a very real crossroad where the members could take this moment to say to Bartomeu, you know, enough. 
we believe in the cantera. We in bringing up players, investing in the future, not just purchasing big name players at top dollar or or not so big name players in the case of uh, Paulinho at top dollar only to see them flounder at the club. And so like just like Luis said, that's what Real Madrid used to do and now that's what we're doing. And that is uh alarming to me a little bit you know we have become our rival and they have become us you know we can't help what real madrid do but we can help what what we do um and the kind of change we've seen comes from one place and one place only and that's the president and the board of directors yeah i mean and that's the other thing is like especially in the last weeks just listening to the board directors comments saying that uh people outside of catalonia's opinions don't count and all this kind of garbage that they say they just like they don't have any vision of what outside what people are talking about and what people the temperature of the uh, fc barcelona fan base you know they don't they just don't get it you know it's almost like old people with like new technology you know how there's always like a disconnect you know they just don't get it you know uh and that's how i feel like they just their vision is completely different than what we want the club to be and you know, doing this vote and hopefully something gets done, at least just to shake the foundation a little bit. So, and I heard today too during the, the Betis game that there was going to do a little bit of the the white handkerchief, but I don't think I I didn't see it happen. So, um, but I think it's you know more and more people are talking about it. It's on social media, uh, especially the people I follow that have a lot of followers. I saw they were getting intimidated by FC Barcelona as well. So. You can see that uh, some things are happening. So we'll see. It's definitely going to develop, especially in September, because that's when he has to bring up the the vote up. So, yeah. And uh, he he says, like we said, he said uh, he's going to launch that effort officially on September 1st. So we're going to keep track of that. Um, now, also, I do want to say that, you know, I certainly don't condone and I actually would vocally condemn anyone who's making threats to Bartomeo, be it in on social media or in real life, uh, any threats to him or his family. Like, it's just, it's not that important. It's not so important that you have to make like threats on someone's uh, life or livelihood or their family or anything like that. And, you know, and what we saw this last week in Barcelona, I think really should put that into perspective. And that's the end of the first half. Um, we want to bring you up to speed uh, with a little bit of what's happening behind the scenes here at Barca Talk. So the backstory is that I started this podcast under this name, Barca Talk, last February, and Gabriel started his own podcast, a totally separate one, about a year ago. And over this past summer, we partnered up and I think made a show that's way better than either of the ones we were doing separately. Now, our audience has been growing exponentially, and we've received a lot of encouragement and praise from listeners, which we really appreciate. So now, if you're a regular podcast listener, you might notice that we don't currently have any advertisements on the show, which is fairly standard for podcasts to have advertisements. So that's something that we are working toward, and you can help us with that. Uh, we have a brief survey on our website for demographic stuff that advertisers are interested in and i've taken it and it literally takes one minute or less to complete there are five questions and it doesn't ask for any personal information so you're safe there and it would really help support the show and what we're doing here so if you take a minute go to barsatalk.net and the survey will just pop up in your face 
and do that for us, we would really appreciate it. You can dismiss it if you want, but we would appreciate it if you uh, if you did it. Yeah, the pop-up only takes about 30 seconds, so it's really, really short. Uh, again, we have our social media. We have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, we're active on all those things. Uh, last week on Facebook, I posted a really cool YouTube channel I found of a Barca fan that lives in Valencia, and he does GoPro videos of his Barcelona experience, which was a lot of fun to watch him watch the Clasico and different matches. That was a lot of fun. So we're pretty active on, well, I'm active on the social media. and uh, But you can find all our channels on barsatalk.net. Yeah, and on the social media front, I want to I wanna come back to that video that we shared on our Facebook page uh, from, uh, his name is Victor Palacios. Uh, he documented going to the first Supercopa match at the Camp Nou. Everything from getting on the train to Barcelona to meeting up with friends before the game and sitting in the stands watching the game. It's actually a really fun video. I felt like I was at the game with him. It's about 15 minutes long. He seems like a really nice guy, too, like someone I'd want to watch a game with. And uh, it's all in Spanish. And according to Duolingo, I'm only 12% fluent in Spanish. But I still enjoyed it a lot. And that's the kind of high-quality bonus content you'll find when you follow us on Facebook. So you should really do that. Yeah, and I don't know how, how you watch YouTube, but I don't have a TV here. So YouTube is almost like my television. And I get into my friends, my really close friends, my friends know me. I always say I get into a YouTube vortex. And so I was watching some Barcelona thing, and I saw on the left or on the right side said, you know, Super Supercopa GoPro. And I was like, oh, I'm going to check this out. And sure enough, it was such an entertaining video. You don't need to know Spanish because you can just kind of follow along because he puts the title of the minute of the game and you get to see the emotion, especially just from the first Supercopa. He went to the game with his mother, who's also a diehard Barca fan. He, he asked her a great question. He said, what was your favorite moment in Barcelona's history? And she just says right off the bat, she says, the Koeman goal in 1992. That started everything. And I was just like, that's amazing right there. I think it was 92, if I remember correctly. So we, we, I try to find interesting content like that, and I will always post it on our social media. And I also like giving the point of view of what it is to be a Barca fan, especially here in Spain, and just kind of how everyone loves football here in Spain. Yeah, it was great. Uh, so, yeah, go, go to Facebook and check that out. And then find the link to his YouTube channel and, and follow that guy because he's really fun. Now, also, uh, don't forget our phone line is open. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's a little old-fashioned. But, but give us a phone call and leave a message on the phone line. The number is 716-795-2853. And you can also find that on the contact page of barsatalk.net. Give us your feedback, reactions, concerns, or just uh, give us a little show intro. Just tell us your name, where you're calling from, and uh, you're listening to Barca Talk. Thanks a lot. Okay, let's start the second half. Now, we have two matches to look back on and another to look forward to. First off, uh, we have to get into the second leg of the Supercopa, played in Madrid at the Bernabeu. Real Madrid won the match 2-0, winning the Supercopa 5-1 on aggregate. And the result in and of itself is disappointing, but not such a terrible scoreline. 
However, uh, the way that Barcelona played versus the way that Real Madrid played was probably the most one-sided Clasico I've ever seen, at least one-sided in Real Madrid's favor. And I've been watching Barcelona since 2010. And I've seen matches where Barca were head and shoulders above Real, but I had not seen it go the other way until this match. They completely ran circles around us. Uh, Barcelona couldn't even get the ball out of their own half until the 11th minute. And for the first time in 31 Clásicos, Real Madrid had more possession of the ball. They had 53%. Yeah, th- uh, let me get my notes here about the game. All right, let's see. Let's see. Point number one, we sucked. We sucked on both legs. I mean, this this second leg, I didn't even watch the game. I had it on, uh, on um, Twitter, and I was just kind of uh, talking with friends you know, on WhatsApp while I was listening. And when that Asensio goal, I heard everyone scream in the street and I said, oh God. And sure enough, everyone's like, oh, it's Golasso. So I'm like, oh God, even worse, right? This, I I've been watching Barcelona since 1998, something like this, 1999. And I can't remember a Classico or these two games, especially back-to-back one-sided ever. Uh, usually because obviously the way Real Madrid plays for the most part has always been counterattacking straight up. Um, attacking up the middle, but man, we got worked. I mean, worked really bad, and we we just looked like amateurs. I mean, we just looked like amateurs to them, and they could have even scored more goals if they wanted to, but they were kind, which I never get that. You know, just they should they could completely accumulate us, but they didn't. Um, but yeah, it was it's it was a frustrating two games, especially you know, especially without having any signings, losing Neymar having a completely different formation for this game, a 3-5-2, uh, the Paulinho signing the next day. It was just like, wow, like amazing week. Thank you very much, board. Yeah, exactly. Now, let me take the position of the apologist for a second. Um, so if I'm, if I'm being an apologist, I would say that Valverde was trying a different formation, like you said, with uh, some players who haven't developed chemistry yet, and they were playing a Real Madrid side who is no question at their peak. You know, their last two seasons have been great. They won two Champions Leagues in a row. They might likely surpass that this year. They're just a squad on a serious upswing right now. Meanwhile, we're trying to find solutions to this loss of Neymar, the cracks in our defense, and some of our best and uh, most beloved players, um, I'm thinking about Iniesta in particular, are kind of aging out of the game. But I did start seeing a couple of bright spots in uh, Barcelona's game, uh, the second leg, around the 70th minute. So Sergi Roberto and Messi were both starting to come alive, and they were making decent attempts at getting something going for a goal. But, I mean, you're absolutely right. We sucked. It was just too late at that point, and there was, there was no chemistry on the field between the Barcelona players. So this is my, <clears throat> my biggest contention lately with Barcelona. I've listened to many football podcasts in the last week about Barcelona, about La Liga and all those things. And it always comes back to the 4-3-3. And this is my biggest contention because, yeah, the 4-3-3 was great. It was great. It was with Pep Guardiola. We revolutionized football, all these things. But times are changing, man. We have to adapt. And I this infuriates me even more. Like, because since we're so stubborn in this 4-3-3, and I know it's the Barcelona style, but for me, the Barcelona style is bringing young players through La Maisa and the tiki-taka. That's the most important. You can have tiki-taka in any type of formation. Like, it doesn't have to just be the 4-3-3. But we have to adapt. We are so... 
we're so in the dark ages with this formation because everyone knows how to play against us. We need to adapt. It's just like, imagine, you know, a foot, an American football team from the 60s, right? They used to just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball every time because that was the style. But if you bring that team now to the future, they would get worked. I mean, absolutely worked. It's all about adapting new tactics, adapting new formations, always evolving and changing. We have to do that. We have to use the players that we're doing, that we have on the bench, what we have right now, and put them in the best situation. Now, obviously, we're going to talk about the Betty's game, which looked a lot better. But as you said, in the 11th minute, we couldn't even get the ball out because Madrid has a blueprint. Everyone has a blueprint. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree that that the Barcelona way or the Barcelona style has more to do with exactly like you said, uh, tiki-taka and bringing up young players from La Masia, not a formation. And because you can do those things and still maintain Barcelona identity and values in any formation. Right. So let's let's move on, though. In better news, our men in blue and red started La Liga with a 2-0 win over Betis, getting off to a good start. Uh, so not only was the scoreline a positive result, but they played great football overall. And frankly, I was a little nervous before this match. I think I was even a little nervous they might lose for not being organized enough, even knowing that Betty's aren't the most intimidating squad. But they looked a lot more organized, hungry, and it's important to note that they're they're doing the work of a preseason now during the competitive season because they lost Neymar so close to the beginning of things that it's really required finding new solutions and strategies that Valverde hadn't counted on. And that's what they're doing now. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, for this game, they definitely looked a lot better. Uh, what My points for the game, the first one, Semedo looked really great as a right back. He's physical. Uh, he makes better passes. He was able to get back on defense better than Vidal. So I think that's already uh, a better position going forward. I really liked his play. The second thing, they actually went to the right side and attacked finally. So they were in a 4-3-3 today, kind of like a hybrid 4-3-3, but they finally went to the right. The two goals they scored were from the right side. It's because everyone knows Messi wants to go middle to the left because he's left-footed. Uh, but today they were able to go to the right a little bit more with Defileo out there. Um, and Rakitic had a better game. They were more organized in defense. Um, the next thing for me, Umtiti, man, I, for me, he just keeps getting better and better. He is the center back for us of the future and he just holds everything back there. And of course your favorite player, Mascherano's beard. <laughs> <laughs> he's growing it back. He shaved it off. I know. He's growing he, it he back. did a nice look. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, but, you know, Mascherano out there, he's, he's a quality player. But I think overall, overall, um, these are the type of games that we always have to win against Betis at home, these type of games. Now, like I was watching the game with my friend today, I was telling him, you know, I wasn't worried about this game. We'll see again the games that are away, like Betis away or Malaga away or uh, at the San Mamez away. These type of games are going to be the tricky ones for me. But I would say overall I was optimistic about the game. Obviously, we got the points. And the other thing, too, is we didn't allow a goal. Now, that for me is always important because that just tells us that our defense was a little bit better organized and the midfield was able to string uh, better passes to the front. Busquets had a great game. I think overall was just a really quality performance. But for me, I was telling my my friend, too, I was like, just don't give up the goal. Just don't give up a goal because I love having shutouts because that just gives more confidence for the defense going forward. Were you able to watch the game? 
Yeah, I absolutely watched it. And yeah, the, the best chance for Betis came in the first half, which was shut down by that really masterful tackle in the box from Mascherano. And just about anyone else going in for that tackle in the box would have screwed it up and given up a penalty. But Mascherano did it perfectly. And I think that was the closest that Betis were to getting a goal but he shut it down and it was a really like masterful tackle yeah it was a really good tackle that's just like experience right there right um he he came in from the side and didn't you know he took the ball away from the from the player and didn't come in too hard to create a penalty so like i said the defense and again i don't know if it's because uh you know umtiti anchoring the back and tomato i mean did you see how many times uh, the other team had a counterattack against tomato I, I don't think maybe one or two, if that. So right there, that alleviates so much pressure. He was able to get back. He was physical. Like, that's another great thing that I liked about his game. You know, this is the second game I'm, I'm really watching him. So from what I've seen so far, um, and everyone that I've seen on Twitter, everyone is, is, is definitely approving of him playing more. So Yeah. Now I have one question. One thing I did not understand. Vidal in for Delefeu. I don't get it. Delefeu was having a great game. Um, and really, except for Paco, I couldn't see anyone who was so ineffective that they needed to come out. So what, what do you think putting Vidal in for Delufeu was about? So I think it's just, <clears throat> just using the bench. Like, so Vidal is quote unquote, like an attacking right back, right? So he's supposed to have the ability to get down to the line and get good crosses. So I think it's actually a good idea because then he's not responsible defensively, right? So he's just, He's occupying that right space, right? So that's what we always, like, I always harp on. If you're going to do a 4-3-3, you have to have someone occupying that right space because that's how you spread the defense. And you could see today when they went through Delefeo De and everything, they had more space in the middle and they had more opportunities to score, right? Because now the, the defense is strung out a little bit. So for me, it wasn't that big of a surprise because it's just moving him up there. Maybe because, you know, you think right back, this type of thing. But he's kind of a hybrid wing type player so he could do that and I also think that Valverde is just trying to use his bench to get confidence because we're going to have to need them especially for these next five games so I think it was a good move uh the other one too he got Digne into the game and he also got uh who else did he get in Denis Suarez there you go Denis Suarez right so using the bench which I think is always great um especially when you already have the game in hand so it's for me it was fine fair enough fair enough Good, good way to start off La Liga. Now, looking to the coming week, uh, Barca will go up against Alaves in match day two of La Liga. Uh, Alaves beat Barcelona last year at the Camp Nou, but were served up a 6-0 loss on their home ground when Barca came to Basque Country. And, of course, the two met in the Copa del Rey final last year, uh, which Barcelona won 3-1 in the Vicente Calderón. Alaves uh, finished La Liga last year in ninth place, not bad, having just been promoted from the Secunda division. Now, a lot of that success was attributed to their manager, Mauricio Pellegrino, who has now moved on to manage Premier League side Southampton. The new manager, uh, Luis Zabaldia, has been managing in Central and South America, most recently in the uh, Colombian club Independiente Medellin, where his side came in second place in the first round of the uh, Colombian competition, which has more of a tournament style of organization. And they were knocked out in the quarterfinals by Deportivo Cali. So Zabaldia managed that club for only one year. And now he's at Alaves, hoping to, I guess, maintain or even improve on their performance from last year, although they started off La Liga with a loss to Leganes. 
So what can Valverde expect to see from Alaves, do you think? Are they going to come out to play or are they going to sit back and maybe just hope for a countering opportunity? Yeah, I definitely think they're going to be trying to counter. They're a younger team. Uh, Alaves is located in Basque country in Victoria. So they're they're usually um, like that style. Usually of Basque country teams are physical. They like to play a little sloppy. Um, that's usually the style. Like if you think of Athletic or Ibar, these type of teams. Um, so I definitely think they're going to try to counter. Um, but again, they're a young team. Uh, they, like you said, they just got promoted. They lost uh, Teo Hernandez to Real Madrid. So that was their superstar that they had last year who uh, gave them some goals last year. So they don't have him this year. Um, I think I think it should be a comfortable win for Barcelona. But again, you know, especially with our youngsters going, it's a, is it an away game? Yeah, it is an away game. If it's an away game, then it's definitely going to be a little bit more difficult, you know, because younger players on Barca, especially like, for example, if we have Defileo and Paco Alcazar and these type of things. But I think that, you know, as we saw tonight in the Betis game, I think we're headed in the right direction. And I think we should have the victory in hand. In yeah, and I'll be interested to see uh, what the starting lineup is like. I definitely want Semedo to start. I want Sergi Roberto to start. Um, of course, we're probably expecting Alcacer to start with Suarez still out. And I would even expect uh, De La Feu to start again. Yeah, I think I think he'll use the same lineup. Uh, Sergio Roberto had a really strong game tonight. He had a goal, and he just looked really comfortable where he was. Um, also, the other thing we didn't really talk about, too, is that in the Betis game today, they really pressed high. And that gave uh, Betis a lot of problems. So if they continue to do that type of uh, press and they shut out the you know the opposition, they'll be fine going forward. Well, that's it for this week, folks. Uh, we'll be back next week with a review of the Alaves match, and we'll talk about any news stories, big and small, affecting the club. Remember, you can reach our social media channels. You can find all of that on barsatalk.net. Uh, we also have our pop-up survey, so don't forget to fill that out for us. That would really help us out. And again, sharing is caring, so please tell your fellow FC Barcelona friends. Yeah, keep listening, keep sharing with your fellow Barca fans, and uh, give us a call on the phone line, 716-795-2853. Comments, questions, and show intros are all welcome. Thanks a lot for listening. I'm Brian Henderson. And I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this has been Barca Talk. Thanks for listening. Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Podcast Network.